We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. My name is Taylor, and today we're talking about how to rank players, how to evaluate players, but mostly the idea behind this podcast was I'm currently writing an article for Basketball Index that's going to rank the top 75 players in the league, and I have spent a lot of time on this. There's been multiple revisions of the list. It started this offseason. I had you know, made a rough list, reshuffled a little bit, and then it kind of bled into the season. You know, the early things happen. You know, the Jazz come out super hot. You know, the Lakers really struggle. I move the list around again. Then, obviously, the trade deadline happens. So there's been a lot of versions. I finally settled on something I feel pretty comfortable with. And this episode is not about going down the list, debating with, you know, someone like Krishna or something, talking about where players should or shouldn't be. But it was sort of the idea of, how did I come up with this list and what am I valuing? And then on top of that, how do I explain it? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that do, you know, or companies that do top 75, top 100, top 200, whatever it is, rankings. And I think that I want to have a conversation about how those rankings kind of come to light and what the process is behind it. And as long as we're behind the scenes, I had to make a quick edit here. My girlfriend walked in complaining about the uh, latest Grey's Anatomy episode. But back to uh, how we rank players. So I think the first thing you got to decide is where you want your cutoff to be, how many players you want to rank. Because if you just want to talk about like the top you know, star players in the league, probably like the you know, top 20, maybe top 25. If you want to go further down the list, you know, there's various cutoffs. I chose 75 because it's a nice number, right? And... They're probably something about the NBA top 75 team from whatever a year or two ago is in my head. But I wanted to stop at where I thought the difference makers kind of ended in the league. And there's various types of difference makers, right? There's guys at the top like Luca or Steph or Giannis where it's, it's pretty obvious, right? But then, you know, as you get down... I talk about it all the time. There's the guy that can be the number one option, the number two, the number three. And then I do think like we, a lot of the times we do stop at three, which for me would be around a top 50 player in the league. But I do think those number four options can be really impactful in the playoffs. They're the type of players where they have 
a big game in a series, right? Or uh, two big games, and that can really help swing a series, maybe beat a team you're not supposed to beat. And when I'm you know down here, I'm talking about someone like Al Horford, something like that, where Al Horford at this age is not a building block of a team, right? Like if you roll into the season with Al Horford as your second best player, that's going to be a very difficult season. But that doesn't mean that he's not an extremely valuable player. He is, for me, a number four guy on a championship team. The Celtics kind of throw this <laughs> a wrench in this because they just have so many good players on their team. But that's kind of the thing I talk about. Like in a vacuum, someone like... Like Robert Covington could be like the fourth best player on a team because he's such a great defensive player. And then the other thing I want to get into is how you group skill sets. That's really important for how you rank players because like so there's things like obviously you just have, you know, one, two, three, four, five. You're ranking them in order. On top of that, I think tiers are a really great thing because like the chances of me and anyone else in the world having the same top 75 like it is very rare and then like this happens all the time me and christian will argue off air about things or discuss things and it's one of those things where i don't really care between mikhail bridges and og ananobi and it's all it means is they're both very good players they're both on my list and they both have really really similar skill sets as three and d wings that are have been good in on-ball roles that provide shooting a little bit plus on top of that on offense where I like Wiggins would be in that tier too where it's like it doesn't it like if we're doing a 2k fantasy draft right I if all three of those guys are on the board it doesn't really matter which one I get that's like the one where you like you get up to get food and you're like I just pick one of them it doesn't matter um, because they again are so similar you can have a favorite of three you can think one of those players is better right now or has more potential or whatever it is more impactful in the playoffs I don't really have any beef with that but I think if we were having a conversation you know me and you the listener and we're talking about these players we would agree that they're in a similar stratosphere so not only ranking, you know, guys one through 75, but also having tiers built in to be like, these players are grouped together. And then I think another thing that's important with tiers is if a player is, if you think a player should be up or down a tier, or I think that, you know, I think that's really, really good debate. And I think that it can be really, really interesting. The big thing is like, if a player is like two or three tiers away, that's where me personally, if I'm reading an article or listening to a podcast, I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, I just I just don't believe that Jeremy Grant's a top 30 player. I don't think you can have him in your third tier. I mean, I like Jeremy Grant as a player. He's good. He just does, doesn't belong there. So the, the big things, you know, ordering players 1 through 75, I think is a place to start. And then adding tiers on top of that, I think is useful because it's just kind of telling the audience or the person you're you're discussing with hey i think these guys are all in the same ballpark and i think we can sort of agree on that and if you want to reshuffle them i really don't care so i think that's that's really good the things i added on top of that i don't think we're really going to get into too much but you know it, can this guy be a number one i think it's a fun debate can this guy be a number two you know, three, et cetera, all the way to four. And then I did a, this is different, but I was like, huh, I just wonder what I would value every player with just in a draft pick number where it's like how many first, how many like, I don't know, 10th overall first round picks would it take to get this player? I think that's less relevant for how good a player is right now and maybe more what their age is and if there's any potential built in. But I just kind of wanted to discuss all of the ways I went about ranking these players. So 
I'm just going to like run through the list really quick in chunks just to sort of talk about the process of things I value. So like at the very top, you got Joker, you got Luca, you got Giannis, you got Steph, players like that. I don't think anyone's really going to argue that really. And then like after that, I don't know, you guys got like Durant and LeBron. Like I, we all agree these guys are at the top because they have a combination of really great scoring, pretty darn good playmaking, and then, for the most part, nobody in the top top group of players is, like, really bad at defense most of the time. I know Joker's defense is something people talk about a lot. But the last two years, like, in our deal, LeBron, it's pretty solid. Like, I'm not going to say he's nowhere near, like, Giannis's impact. But he's been solid and not bad at defense. You know, like Steph. So, Steph used to be good at defense in his 20s. He's been solid in his 30s. But, again, nobody's a negative up here and there aren't a lot of glaring weaknesses, and there's a lot of strengths. I think that makes sense. And then after that, you got guys in the teens, you know, where it's like they – how do I describe this? I, I feel like I want to give, like, a superhero metaphor. I'm not really sure why, but, like, if the the top ten are, like, Superman or whatever, where it's like this is the bet, like, we don't really have anybody better than this. Like, that second tier of, I don't know, like a Devin Booker, a Jimmy Butler, a James Harden now – where it's like, I don't know, they're like Green Lantern, where it's like, I don't know if you watch enough Justice League stuff, Green Lantern's pretty strong and occasionally he saves a day. Yeah, does Superman do it more often? Totally. But like, Green Lantern's a pretty valuable member of the Justice League, right? Everyone thinks he's pretty, pretty, pretty important. <laughs> Can like, if you, Green Lantern on his own in a scene, you know, like, he's going to be okay. I'm not really worried about this. Um, but we'll move on from the superhero metaphors. Uh, and then after that, it starts to get interesting because, like, you have your guys that are good at everything at the top. And then after that, you have, like, a lot of the time really good scoring and then maybe, you know, not the greatest defender. But, the, like, you're getting, like, 28 points a game on really good efficiency. Uh, the playmaking is there, maybe not as much at the very top. And then as you go down the list, it starts to get interesting. Like, what do you think is the most valuable skill set? Because... There are players next to each other where somebody has really big-time defensive impact. There's other players that are good scorers and very good playmakers. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Then you get down even further where it's like, well, these guys can score, but I don't I don't know what else they really give on a high level, especially like in the playoffs. Like you think of DeRozan or Brandon Ingram, where it's like, well, these guys are definitely better at scoring than other players in the league. But it's that thing I always talk about. If they're your you know, first or second best player, they're always going to lose to LeBron and Durant because they're just better. So you're starting to get like, do I want this player? Or like, does this player limit what my team could do? And then after that, you have a, a mixture of young guys. And I don't know. It starts to get like really blurry for me, like in the 40s where it's like, there's Robert Williams and Desmond Bain and Jalen Brunson, and they all kind of have different skill sets. Where like Rob Williams in the playoffs was just a defensive monster, just otherworldly protecting the rim. And then on offense, like he's not an offensive player, but he's at least giving you some positive play finishing, right? And then Desmond Bain is just an unbelievable three point shooter, movement shooter. You know, has a little bit of a floater, you know, has increased the playmaking a little bit this year. It's going to be interesting to see what it is, but he's legitly one of the best movement shooters in the league. And that is super valuable because he's that 
plus a little bit of everything else and a positive on defense. And you're like, oh, that's an interesting mixture of a player. Then you have Jalen Brunson, who's like an on-ball guy who, you know, can push the pace, is a ball handler. There's some playmaking. There's some scoring. The three-point shooting has been better, which has been a really uh, an interesting surprise this year, but not a great defender, doesn't have the size, not like an isolation monster at the end of the game, like give it to him on the wing three possessions in a row and let him go to work. So it's that thing of... How do you value all these players? And then after it, what's actually sparked the idea for this podcast was, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have a tier of players like Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner, you know, can be really strong defensively at the rim as a drop big and also can stretch it out from three. And that's a really rare player. Like there just aren't a lot of centers that are good at defense that can shoot the three. They don't exist. (laughs) And then right after that, there's that three and D wing, really high end that can also do, you know, three and D with like a little bit of scoring, which is OG, Mikhail Bridges, Wiggins. And it comes down to a debate of like, well, what do you think is more valuable? Because, I feel like a lot of the modern discussion is, oh, you need that that 3 and D wing, switchable, can guard wings. People are like, <laughs> occasionally they're like, oh, you know, they can switch on screens. They can play a little small ball five. And you're like, okay, this argument's starting to get a little thin. I don't know if we might be pushing this too far to the, uh, to the what if. And then there's the other side of it of like, do you value that anchor big that – is going to deter a lot of shots at the rim, is going to alter a lot of shots. The high block numbers are always pretty and does bring that three-point element. Probably not quite year-to-year as those wings just because, like, if you look at Brooke Lopez's or even Miles Turner's numbers, like, they're pretty good three-point shooting centers. But there are some rough seasons in there because they're just, again, are not a lot of seven-footers hitting 38% from three every year. They just, again, don't exist. (laughs) So that's an interesting discussion of like, what do you value more there? And I've kind of gone back and forth on that of, I think I lean towards wanting the defensive big because that's what you build a defense around. You don't really build a defense around a three and D wing that can play wing stopper at a really high level that, you know, has the height, has the length. I would rather have that really elite rim protection because, again, that it will just it one, it is more valuable in the regular season. That's not really up for debate. But I think what people want to talk about is in the playoffs, when teams go small, what is the value there? And we found in our research it does drop, but it goes from being 
the most powerful thing, again, protecting the rim in the regular season, like full stop, no question, to less effective in the playoffs, but still valuable. And again, I think that's a really great conversation. And I think I lean towards wanting that high end rim protection again with the three ball, because you know, you start getting into this conversation of like, how are you evaluating these players? Because a lot of times, like I look at skill set, I look at what they're bringing to the table. I think of it as Legos of what can click into the larger team. What's going to have like some synergy properties. And then you also start to look at what what do you deem as the most valuable, what your closing lineup's going to be, how does this player let other players be on the court? Because if you have a Turner and a Brooke Lopez, you can play a second big that doesn't have the spacing. Because on defense, you can play, like, two bigs on defense is almost always better than one big on defense. Because, again, you just have more rim protection or, you know, in pick and roll when the center is pulled out away from the rim. The reason it's so good in small balls is because it's like, well, there's no one really protecting the rim anymore. You might have like a 6'6 guy rotating over. But when you play with two bigs and one of your bigs is in the pick and roll, you now have the secondary big rotating behind and you still have that rim protection. So the double big isn't is actually better on defense. But on offense, you run into problems when you have no spacing. You have two guys standing in the key that can't really do anything besides, you know, catch a lob or, you know, finish on a putback, that really starts to bog down your offense. So how much do you value roster flexibility in what a player brings with their skill set? Because I think the answer is sliding scale, right? I don't think it's a yes or no question. It's like, well, it depends on what the skill is, how strong the skill is, and how it connects to other things and what it frees up. Because, again, I'm a big believer if you can have everyone's always, you know, really like shooting, 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 which is very important. Not going to argue that. I'm a Lakers fan. I saw it this year. It was really rough. But you can have a non-shooter on the court. You can have one all the time. It's not a big deal. You can sometimes get away with two. Same thing with defenders. Like, we talk about defense on this podcast at nauseum. But you don't actually need five good defenders. You can have, you can hide a guy. You can't hide three guys, but you can hide a guy. So it comes to kind of what you're valuing. And then a little further down the list, we have players that can score that. So there's three level scoring, right? Three point mid range and at the rim. And at the top of the list of players, there's a lot of players that are three level scores. It's a really valuable thing because, again, there's not that many of them that can actually score at three levels. And then you look at someone like Jamal Murray or Tyler Hero, and they are pretty pretty electric scorers they can get really hot they're good three-point shooters which they can play off ball they can provide value there which is nice but neither of them they're both two level scorers they can shoot in the mid-range in the three because again they're good shooters but they're not very good around the rim where hero someone that just can't get to the can't create a shot at the rim a lot but when he does get there or he takes a floater he's actually pretty good at hitting them jamal murray is someone that's a little more foot on the gas gets to the rim more again not a lot but more than hero but just traditionally has not finished very well relative to shot quality. So the point is both of those players are similar in my mind where there's a lot of self-generation there, which again, self-generation is valuable because the further you get down the list, you're just going to find less and less guys that can self-generate and that generation is going to be pretty poor. And a lot of that time, that generation is going to be like a little below average efficiency scoring with little to no playmaking and like you i just don't see how that's super valuable when you're on a good team because again it's because we talked about it earlier it's like DeRozan and brandon ingram where it's like 
Well, if they're going against the best players on in the league and like LeBron and Durant, they're probably going to lose head-to-head most of the time. Same thing when you have a six-man that shoots the ball but doesn't really pass. You, in the playoffs, you're running into the problem where it's like, well, why wouldn't I just have LeBron or Durant have the ball for a majority of the game? Why would I have someone that can score a little bit in you know self-created roles or a lot of it in self-created roles that doesn't pass a lot and isn't super efficient? It's a thing of just why I, this is not a superior option. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then at the end of my list, I think is different than a lot of other people's because I was like, you know what? I want those really, really high-end defensive guys. Marcus Smart, Alex Caruso, Derek White, Anthony Melton, Robert Covington. These guys go into the three and D role traditionally, and there's a little bit of you know leaning each way, like where some of these players, I think actually all of these players actually lean defense, not offense. But there's other guys on the list where it's like, oh, they're a little better three-point shooter and a little worse defender. Or Caruso's case is more extreme, where like Caruso's not a very good offensive player. He has nice, he can ball handle and he can like good ball movement, some nice passes every once in a while, but like really can't score. But he is far and away like the best perimeter defender in the league. Like he is better than Derek White and Melton on the perimeter. Just no question in my mind. But with Derek White, you get more ball handling, more scoring, like a little bit more of like able to run some things. With Melton, you get more three point shooting as opposed to Caruso. So smart, you get more playmaking. Covington, you get more three-point shooting. Alonzo Ball would also be in this category. Ball has much better three-point shooting. So it's it's kind of three and D players because we've talked about this a bunch. There's not a lot of guys that are actually good at both. All the guys that are actually good at both are just good players for the most part. There is a, a three and D kind of Venn diagram of like, which one do you want more of? And I think the really, really high-end defensive guard and wing players are really valuable. So... Basically, what I did is I have a bunch of tiers throughout the top 75. How many do I got? One, two, three. So there's 12 tiers in the top 75. And are some of these tiers a little bit, I mean, they're all subjective, but like, could you maybe break these out into slightly larger tiers? Yeah, probably you could. But I I like the way they're organized. Like, it really makes sense in my head of like, there's a lot of similar players in tiers together where, you know, like I said before, a great example of this is Mikhail Bridges versus OG, where it's like... they're effectively giving you very, very similar output. So I think they are a great tier together because the output's the same and they play the same position and do really similar things. Uh, after that, I just was like, you know, I'm gonna do a little due diligence. And after the the last couple players where you honestly, you could swap them out for the flavor of the month. Whoever's the hottest in the NBA right now is probably gonna get those last three slots in my list. But then after that, you have these massive tiers from like 76 to like 110, pretty much all one tier. And then after that, from like 110 to like 150, all one tier. And then from like 150 to 200. And these, the reason these tiers are so big is because these players change so much. A lot of the times these players aren't super old. They're normally in their 20s, in the first half of their 20s, 25, 26, because that's just the way the NBA works. But, you know, whether it's, KCP or Bones or Franz Wagner or or Vaughn, however you say his name, um, Herb Jones, Jay Crowder, depending on how this Josh Hart, Dean Wade, Mitchell Robinson, depending on how the season goes, it's just one of those things where 
I don't know, Jalen Williams, where it's like, I, how, where are you going to rank Jalen Williams? Nobody knows. It's his, his rookie year is not even complete. He seems to be a pretty good player. I definitely going to keep my eye on him, but I would like to see another year to year plus of development to really get a firm grasp of who he is. And if, you know, if he just keeps getting better and better and better, sure, he forces his way onto that top 75 list maybe next year. But I just don't know what anyone knows about Jalen Williams at this point other than he looks like he's a dude that can play in the NBA. So I think having really large tiers the further you get down in the league makes a lot of sense because, like, I don't know whether it's Bruce Brown or Cam Johnson or Terry Rozier. I don't know. Whoever's having the best half of a season, I guess, will be highest in that tier. But, like, I don't want to be having to move guys all the time. So I just wanted to kind of hop on here, talk about not even – I didn't really want to talk about what my list was, just sort of the idea of how you rank players, what you're taking into account, what you're valuing. You know, it's easy at first to be like, okay, scoring, of you know, volume and efficiency, playmaking, defense, and then you could probably break defense into like ability to guard on ball – uh, team defender and maybe like rim protection. I don't know. That's the thing of like, once you start thinking about these things, how do you break them down further and further? Because the further you get down the list, the more flawed the players are. And the more flawed the players are, the harder it is to figure out how they are, kind of how they stack up compared to each other. And then you also have to take into account like, what is this player's situation and is it good or bad? Like, I think probably one of the most interesting players is like Jalen Brown. For me, Jalen Brown's on Boston, so that's very helpful. If Jalen Brown was on Charlotte, what is our opinion of him? I don't know. Same thing with like LaMelo Ball. You take LaMelo Ball off Charlotte and you move him to the Clippers, right? Instantly, how does that change our opinion of him? And it's really hard to do that because like you can't you can't do it. You can't sit with every player and like what if he was on you know, one of each, like each, let's go through the whole league. How does he fit in these situations? Because I think that's what computers are for. I'm thinking that's what like AI in the future will do, but my brain cannot do that. But just that thinking exercise with guys you're not sure of, I think is really valuable because somebody like, like Jared Allen, I think Jared Allen is really, really versatile in terms of what he Actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know if that's the best way to phrase that. He's versatile in places he can fit. I guess I, all I'm trying to say is you could plug in Jared Allen as the center on basically every team because he's a really good drop big. He is a strong defender with good awareness. He offers some rib protection. So he just sort of like locks up that defensive center position with a good player. And then on offense, he roams around in the dunker spot. He moves well. He creates windows for playmakers to get him the ball, and he's a play finisher. And that pretty much will fit on any team. So uh, there's lots of guys I could talk about that are interesting cases. There is versatility versus just being extremely strong in the skill because a lot of times guys that are really versatile aren't going to be as good as players that are like, they do this one thing really well because that's how versatility works. Because if you were versatile and the best at everything, like you're just LeBron. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's I've, I've said everything I wanted to say. Anything past this will be additional rambling. So that's just sort of the conversation on kind of the step one on how, how to think about ranking players or 
what I try to take into account. So my name's Taylor, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.